Uh, we're in John, oh boy, what did I just do? Chapter 6, verse 16 through 20 is what we're going to be in. But uh, last week, we talked about what the feeding of the 5,000. How many remember that? We talked about Jesus going up to the mountain to avoid the crowd. The crowd wanted to make him their king. They wanted the king to be the Messiah they were looking for. Uh, before we get started this morning, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Amen. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for who you are in our lives. Lord, how great is our God. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit just continue to envelop this place. Lord, continue to wash over us. Lord, that your presence would just move in and through us. Lord, I pray that this morning they wouldn't be my words, but your words. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, I thank you for the sermon that you provided. But Lord, if you want to take in a different direction, by all means, I lay at your feet this morning. Lord, I thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus has gone up to the mountain. The, the 5,000 had been fed. The, the crowd kind of went around Jesus and they wanted to make him their king and Jesus perceived that. He goes up to the mountain and then this happens. It says this, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Everyone say Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed for about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. How many can understand that? But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is the account. How many know the account Jesus walking on water? Right? It's a pretty familiar one to most people. Most Christians, if you've grown up in the church, you know the story of Jesus walking on the water. Most know the story, but John doesn't go into a whole lot of detail here. He doesn't go into as much detail as some of the other Gospels, and thankfully, this event was told in the other Gospels. To get an accurate view of just what happened here, I want to turn this morning to Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go to chapter 14 and verse 22, and it says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. The disciples did not want to go. He made them get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. And they cried out in fear. I don't know about you, but this reaction makes sense to me. If I'm in a boat at night on the sea, and all of a sudden I see some dude walking on the water, my first thought is not going to be, oh, hey, look, it's Jesus. Right? Come on. I'm going to be a little freaked out. They were freaked out. They said, it's a ghost, right? How many ever watched Casper the ghost when you were a kid or read the comics? It's a ghost. 
But immediately, go to the next slide, it says this, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. He says, calm down. It's me. Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, I like Peter. I do. Why? Because Peter is always sticking his foot in his mouth. And I can relate to that. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Man, Peter's response, he sees Jesus walking on the water and knows that if the Lord grants it, it can be done. Amen? He's putting his faith in the words of the Master. He's putting it, Jesus, you tell me to do it, and I'm ready to go. How many many would say the same thing? Lord, you tell me to do it, and I'm ready to go. Lord, you tell me to do something, I'm ready to go. So he's putting his faith in the words of the Master. Go to the next slide. It says this, and he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, can you imagine this experience of Peter? Can you imagine being in the boat and then stepping out of the boat? Can you imagine the wind and the waves are crashing around you as nighttime, there's a storm, but you step out of the boat into the water. Now your feet feel pretty good, right? I mean, you're in water. You're walking on water. How many have ever tried to walk on water? Have you ever tried? How many have tried to like run across a pool? Yeah, I'm an idiot. I've done it. I try to I try to run on the like get the floaties just lined up just right, and then just start running, and eventually you fall on your face pretty fast. But Peter's walking on water here, and it says that he came to Jesus. He accomplished, he said, Lord, he he gets to where he wants to go. He makes it to Jesus. I wonder how many times has Jesus asked you to step out of the boat? How many times has Jesus asked you to step out of your comfort zone? It doesn't make any natural sense. It doesn't make any natural sense to step out of the boat into the water. Amen? Amen? It doesn't make any natural sense, but he trusted that if the Lord called him to do it, it was possible. Amen? It doesn't make any natural sense that you would succeed in what he's called you to do. It doesn't make any natural sense, but I want to let you know today that if he's called you to do it, it is possible. If the Lord has called you to do something, it is possible. For Peter, it was possible. He puts his faith in Christ and steps out onto the water. How many times does God want us to do the very same? He steps out onto the water. Let me make something very clear this morning. He puts his faith in Christ. Amen? He puts his faith in Christ. He he walks on the water towards Jesus. He gets to Jesus, but something happens. He takes his focus off Jesus. 
He walked on water. He gets to the master. He's there with Jesus. But then he begins to notice there's some wind and some waves. There's some wind and some waves. If only he had kept his eyes on Jesus. If only we would keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? God's called us to do something. We take a step of faith. We go out towards it. We get to where we're supposed to be. He came to Jesus. He was there. And when you get to where you're supposed to be, then you start to have doubts. And you start, the fear starts to creep in. And now you start to notice the wind and the waves. And, and now instead of keeping your eyes on Jesus, now you're, you're looking elsewhere. And you begin to sink. You begin to sink. We see Peter's great faith in stepping out of the boat, followed by his great failure. Don't think for a minute that you can do it on your own. Don't think for a minute that you can do what God called you to do within your own power and talent. Don't think for a minute. There's some people who are talented, crazy talented in this world. They have, I mean, they have the talent to go far and be a big star. But maybe that's not what God's called them to do. Amen? Maybe that's not what God's called them to do. You know, I can't do anything on my own. I can't do anything on my own. There's been, uh, you know, there's been some crazy teaching on this in the church the last few years. Within the church, there's been some crazy teaching, and it's become popular in a lot of churches. It's a problem. The teaching goes like this. When referencing this scripture, the teaching goes like this. It says this. The reason Peter sank was because he didn't have faith in himself. Let me, let me just tell you, that's a false teaching. That's a false teaching. It goes on to say this. This, this teacher, this teaching has gone on to say, I've been told that I need to have faith in God. I guess that's a good thing. But what I am learning is that God has faith in me. Sounds good until you realize that's heresy. It's heretical. It's not biblical. Let me inform you, I can do nothing apart from God. John 15 says this. Go next slide. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But listen, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Apart from God, you can do what? Nothing. I am. The, it's not my talents and know-how that I'm up here today. Trust me, I don't know a lot. I don't. There's more I can learn every day. There's, I have some education, but there's always something else I can learn. It's not because of my natural charisma. Come on. You don't have to laugh at once. It's okay. It's by the sheer grace and will of God that brought me to this place that met with this family of believers, met with the leadership of this church, 
by the sheer grace and will of God that He put me in the place here as pastor. Not by my own doing, but by the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do nothing apart from God. Amen? I think now, more than ever before, Christians are being sucked into an age and culture that tells you that you just have to be the best you that you can be. Just be the best you that you can be, right? The power is in you. The power is in you. Boy, that sounds good. But Jesus didn't tell us to believe in ourselves. He told us to keep our eyes on Him. I mean, it sounds good. It sounds self-empowering. It sounds like really good calendar, one-a-day, self-help, little sticky notes. But guess what? That's not the Bible. And we've been sucked into it. Put your faith in Him. Keep your eyes on Him. When you take your eyes off Him, that's when you begin to sink. Matthew goes on to tell us this. He says this, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. It stopped. And those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What Matthew doesn't uh, tell you about the end of this account, John does. And it's pretty incredible. Go to the next slide. It says this, Then they were glad to take Him into the boat. And listen, And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus gets in the boat, all the disciples are there, and immediately, it's estimated that by the time this account happens, the disciples were about halfway across the sea. They were in the fourth watch of the night, they were about four miles across, they were about halfway of where they needed to be. But when they took Jesus into the boat, immediately, the boat was at the land that they were supposed to be. They were transported. Amen? Sometimes God will grab you out of the storm and put you where you need to be. Amen? Sometimes there's a, a great, there's a, I want to say it's Philip the Evangelist, right? That was transported to go and witness to somebody and then transported back. You will move at the speed of thought sometimes, unexplainably, where God will move you into a place where you have no idea how you got there. I have no idea how I got there, but I guess I'm here for a reason. Let's minister to someone. Amen? They were glad to take him in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they needed to be. How awesome is it to know that when God gets in the boat, the struggling stops and the storm no longer exists. Amen? Or, or this, it's no longer an obstacle. You say, Pastor David, I'm going through a storm. Let God in your boat. This is actually the second account of Jesus uh, and the sea. The first account is he's sleeping in the boat, and he wakes up and he says, peace be still, and it calms the waters. This is the second account, and this time he doesn't even mess with the storm. He just, he just gets in and they go to dry land. They go where they have to go. Verse 22, it says this, On the next day, The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. By the way, this crowd that we're talking about, this was the feeding of the 5,000. This was those people. This was who we're talking about. They'd seen Jesus do this amazing miracle. 
They saw that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. This was somewhat of a journey. They were in Cana. They see Jesus is no longer there. They see the disciples are no longer there. They say, okay, we want to see Jesus. So they jump in their boats and they start going to see Jesus. They wanted Jesus as their King Messiah. Now, when I say King Messiah, you say, well, that sounds like a good thing. What they wanted was not a good thing. They wanted somebody to overthrow the government. They wanted somebody who would come in and and take over the political realm. But this happens. They said this. I like this. Go next slide. It says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, they said to Jesus, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus doesn't really answer their question. He just says this. Truly, truly, I say to you. What does truly, truly mean? Pay attention. Amen? I'm not telling you pay attention. I'm saying that's what it means. But this also, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because because you ate your fill of the loaves. What does that mean? Pastor David, what does that mean? Jesus doesn't answer the question as to when did you come here. He gets right to the heart of the matter. You just want more bread. You just want more miracles. You just you want more free bread. I mean, you want bread for life. And Jesus says, you're missing the point here. Go to the next slide. He says this. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do? They hear about this, this bread of life. They hear about this, this food that endures for eternal life. And their first thought is, what must we do to be doing the works of God? I mean, what can we do? What charity can we give to? How, how, how many baby bottles can we fill up? Right? What can we do? How many hours can we serve in this ministry? And how many times can we, we do this for Christ? And how many times can we ring the bell for the Salvation Army? And what else can we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God. Simply this, that you believe in me. That you believe in him who thou was sent. He's saying, this is it. Simply believe in me. They still aren't satisfied. They still aren't satisfied. Go next slide. It says this. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform, Jesus? Jesus, do a sign for us. Then it says this. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're trying to taunt Jesus now a little bit. 
Jesus, you say you're, you're the eternal life. Do a sign for us. After all, Moses in the desert called down manna from heaven. Our fathers had manna from heaven. They had bread to eat in the wilderness. Jesus, what can you do? The same people who had seen Jesus make, take a little bit of food and, and turn it into all the food they could want. They start challenging him. What more can you do? Jesus just hears what they're saying, but entirely ignores them and says this. Go to the next slide. Jesus said to them, pay attention, truly, truly. I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the word, to the world. Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. They're still just looking for a meal. They're looking for a meal. Jesus here is saying that he's the bread of life, and they just don't get it. These are really like, have you ever encountered a really thick-headed person? Don't look at me. I have. I've encountered some really thick-headed people, just hard to get through. These are some thick-headed people. They are just not getting it. Steve, have you ever encountered a thick-headed person? Yeah? Is he seated to your left? <laughs> just kidding. I love Gary. <laughs> Gary just like, no, oh, it's you. Oh, man. Thick-headed people. Jesus finally just, this is what I'm talking about. He says this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whatever whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Remember, Jesus didn't come to do his own will, but he came to do the will of the Father. Amen? Go to the next slide. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Somebody say amen. amen. He makes it clear as to who he is. These thick-headed people. I'm gonna, this time I'm going to refer to them as not from now on. These thick-headed people. They hear what he says and they start talking amongst themselves. How many know some people that like to talk amongst themselves? They grumble. They talk. This happens. Go to the next slide. So the Jews grumbled about him because they said, because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, hold on a second. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them and said, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. How many, know, how many know what the word grumble means? What does grumbling mean? What's that? 
Murmuring is a good word. Complaining, gossiping, backbiting, right? Stop drama. Thank you. How many hate drama? Come on. How many ever went to high school? Boy. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? I mean, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, how can he say these things? They start murmuring amongst themselves. Mike, have you heard what this Yahoo was saying over here? Are you kidding? Isn't that Joseph and Mary's boy? Doug, would you believe what this dude is saying? That's Joseph and Mary's boy. That's right, Doug. You said, what about your wife? (laughs) Whoa. I'm going to get even with him, is what he says. (laughs) Start grumbling among among themselves. I I don't believe this. I don't believe this. Jesus says, stop it. Stop grumbling amongst yourselves. You don't understand, but I like the way that the, the message puts this in context. Go to the next slide. The message version says this. Don't bicker among yourselves over me. You're not in charge here. I love, I man, Jesus says, the Father who sent me is in charge. He draws people to me. That's the only way you'll ever come. Only then do I do my, my work, putting people together, setting them on their feet, ready for the end. This is what the prophets meant when they wrote, and they will all be personally taught by God. Anyone who has spent any time at all listening to the Father, really listening, really, therefore, learning, comes to me to be taught personally, to see it with his own eyes, hear it with his own ears from me, since I have it firsthand from the Father. No one has seen the Father except the one who has his being alongside the Father, and you can see me. Jesus is making some crazy statements here. Crazy statements here. You can see me. You are being taught by God. He's saying, that's, this is the statement. He says, you want to be taught by God personally? Well, guess what? Here I am. You want to be taught by God? Here I am. And then Jesus starts to go into what I will say are very deep things. If he didn't cause controversy before, which he did, he's going to cause even more now. With these words, he says to you, he says this. Go to the next slide. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He says this, listen to this. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Picture what he's saying right now. I am the bread of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We say, you know, we understand because we live now and we are able to look back and see that Jesus is not being literal here. He's not being literal. He's being what's called figurative. He doesn't, he's not telling us to eat his actual body. His actual Blood. Amen? 
We take communion as a representation of the body and the blood. Amen? We understand that Jesus is not being literal here, but it's, it's still somewhat of a gruesome picture. It's kind of a gruesome picture. Jesus is shocking them with a spiritual truth by putting it in natural terms. I'm not going to go there yet. <laughs> but he says this. He goes even further. Go to the next slide. It says this, verse 52. And I understand it's a lot of words. We're going to get through it quickly. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Think about that. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, he says, pay attention. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Now it's going even deeper into it. How many ever... How many of you ever watched The Walking Dead? All right, we're going to pray for you all after the service. <laughs> yeah. It's good the first season. I haven't watched it in years. Anyway, no, I haven't watched it in a while. <laughs> this whole last night. Uh, but he's singing these words. This sounds weird. You have to drink of my flesh, or eat of my flesh, and drink of my blood. Whoever feeds on, and this, this just sounds weird. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Think of what this is sounding like to the people that he's talking to. Think of how, I mean, truly, if we didn't know what this meant, you would think, that's pretty nuts. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Can you imagine hearing this? For the first time, not knowing about the cross, not knowing about the resurrection. I mean, the gruesome picture. You, you're not just hearing a man say he's the son of God. You're not, I mean, I mean, to, to, for a man to say he's the son of God, that's one thing. You're hearing a man say that you have to eat his body and drink his blood. That's what you're hearing. And honestly, even this, the disciples think it's pretty messed up. The disciples think it's pretty messed up. This isn't the Messiah they signed up for. We signed up for a king to overpower the government and take over Rome, and we signed up for that Messiah. This isn't the Messiah we signed up for. He's talking about being the Son of God and having to eat flesh and drink blood. Who is this guy? In fact, they're incredibly offended by it. They're offended by it. Go to the next slide. When many of his disciples heard it, they said this. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus, what you're saying, this is, this is really difficult to understand. In fact, we, we can't even listen to it. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, say grumbling. Say grumbling. 
said to them, do you take offense at this? Oh, are you offended? Are you offended? Then what were you able, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Oh, were you offended? That I said I'm the Son of God, that I, that I said you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're offended at that? Huh. What if you were to see the Son of Man descend to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who did not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Jesus doesn't back away from his words. I like that. He says, you're offended? The words I give you are spirit and life. There are some who don't believe, and I knew who wouldn't believe. This again brings an answer to the deity of Christ. His equality with God. These people had their choice, but God knew their choice. In his omniscience, he knew who would join him and who would betray him. Amen? His words are so offensive. Listen to this. His words are so offensive that many people who claim to be his disciples, they walk away from him. They walk away from him. Go to the next slide. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They turned back. He doesn't beg them to return. He didn't say, oh, please, I'm sorry I offended you with my words of truth and life. I'm sorry that I offended you and, and, and your proclivities. I'm sorry that I made it sound like it sounded. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't beg for them to return. He says, you're offended? I know who's going to leave anyway. And he watches as the people leave. He watches as the disciples walk away. And he looks around and all that's left is the twelve. And Jesus says to the twelve, do you want to go away too? See, there's something you have to understand about the disciples. There was a lot more than just twelve disciples in the beginning. There's disciples that were following him. Even within the 12 disciples, there's three that he's closest to. There's a circle within the circle. Amen? How many want to be close to him? I don't want to be just on the outside. I don't want to be just among them. I want to be close to him. Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answers him and says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, where, where else are we going to go? I like the words of Peter here. This guy that just had this great faith in stepping out of the boat and then had great failure in sinking to the ocean or sinking to the sea. And now again, he comes back with this amazing answer. 
Jesus says to the twelve, you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? There's no choice for us here. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go? I love that Jesus asked the question, you want to go too? I like that Jesus looks at this and says, you want to go too? Are you offended? You want to go too? And the disciples, I mean, Peter just looks at him. Peter's response is tremendous. I like it. Where could we go? You're the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them and said this. Go to the next slide. He says, didn't I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you was a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. For he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus knew who would go and he knew who would stay, including his betrayer. Jesus here is setting the stage. He is setting the stage in just two weeks. In just two weeks, we will see both the betrayal, the death, and the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the message this morning. Lord, I thank you that you would would give us faith to step out of the boat. Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes on you. Lord, let us not be unfocused and overwhelmed by the storms in our life. But Lord, bring us to the other side in an instant. Lord, I pray over those who are going through storms and chaos right now, Lord, that you would speak to the wind and the waves in their life and circumstances and just say, peace, be still. Or Lord, dramatically take them out of that situation supernaturally. Lord, help us to have faith like Peter. To step out of the boat, faith in you to do what it is you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that we would not grumble about your words. But Lord, that we would respond to your words that you are the bread of life. That you are the bread of life. Lord, this morning over each person here, I want to pray that you bless them. Lord, I pray that you keep them. Lord, I pray that you cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.